You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Good morning. Glad that you're here with us this morning. And would you please with me now open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll be in verses 4 through 9. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Let's see if anybody still uh, remembers when we memorized the books of the Bible. Right. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Before we read our passage for the day, I would like us to recite our monthly memory verse that we started last week, our new monthly memory verse. Let's say it out loud together. It'll be on the screen for you. Ready? Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's try it again. Ready? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now close your eyes and see if you can do it without looking. Ready? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Awesome. In understanding this verse, we're going to take a few uh, moments here in the beginning to understand this, okay? Uh, but this ties directly into our series, so it's, it's helpful. It feels like it's just a continuation once we begin in the text. Last week, in this verse, we noticed the two main responsibilities of the parents, especially the fathers in particular, are discipline and discipleship. That's the call of a parent, discipline and discipleship. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Those are the two main roles that God gives dad in particular. And next week, we're going to look a little bit more carefully at that particular portion of this verse. But today, I want us to notice the first part, which is, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. But notice this first part, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but notice the but. Okay, so discipline and discipleship is what we do instead of doing this first portion. That's how this verse is laid out. Okay, discipline and discipleship is what is right, while the first portion is what is not to be done. That's the contrast here. Don't do this, but do this. Right. So the the thing that we are not supposed to do is provoke your children, our children, to anger. Now, this but is really important because we could swing to the other side of the pendulum uh, really easily. The pendulum could swing, I'm sorry, to the other side really easily, but we're going to talk about this for just a moment. So what is meant by fathers do not provoke your children to anger? Well, this idea here means to make your children angry or wrathful, to alienate them from you and from sound godly instruction, to alienate your child from yourself and from sound godly instruction. We should, as the Bible is telling us here, not do this, okay? So how does one do this? How does one provoke a child to anger? How does the father provoke their child to anger. Well, you can provoke your child to anger through a, 
some things. And we see throughout the scriptures, we can provoke your, you can provoke your child to anger, dad, through your frequent harshness or through your frequent anger. You can provoke your child to anger through your own lack of self-control. Okay? You, when walking into a room, rather than trying to control, you should focus on self-control. Right? You can provoke your child to anger through domineering leadership. In the Jewish society, fathers often didn't consider the desires or the welfare of the children. That's kind of the picture here. So a parent shouldn't use his authority for selfish or unreasonable demands that have little to do with God and have more to do with selfishness. Right? Let me say that again. A parent shouldn't use his authority for selfish and unreasonable demands that have little to do with a life for God and have more to do with selfishness. Doing this might, might drive a child to anger. That's what the picture is here. That's what the Bible is telling us. Provoking a child to anger may also include a parent's needless fretting, exasperating a child, instead of calmness and tenderness and mildness and meekness and gentleness, instead of a systematic discipline and instruction that, that, describe, that the Bible describes in a, in a godly way, which, listen, if you do it that way, your child will grow, respect the commands of the Lord and all that's needed from God for godliness and life and blessing, right? God's got to work in his heart, but that's your part. But you can, you can provoke a child to anger through, through neglecting uh, to invest in that way. Let's think of some more. You can provoke your child to anger through reproachful language, through, your, through sinful deeds, through idolatry, your own idolatry, through cruel blows, cruel blows in, in, in discipline. You can provoke your child to anger through neglecting your child's Christian formation, Think about this, neglecting to invest in him, neglecting or her, neglecting to instruct or correct in the word of God. A child feels deeply loved when a father does that. Neglecting their spiritual formation will drive a child to anger because as a child, you begin to wonder why that is absent when mom and dad are Christians, right? You're, this alienates their minds and their hearts from God's instructions. Provoking them to anger can include being emotionally absent. It can, it, it can include being emotionally absent from their expressions of thought, their expressions of desires, their expressions of feelings. It can include being absent from spending time loving them, holding them, playing with them, being physically present with them, or allowing them proper recreation. Kids need to play, right? It can include neglecting proper fun, enjoyment, silliness, wholesome experiences. Provoking them to anger can include all kinds of abuses. And you guys know this. It can include neglecting to read to them, as I said. If they see mom and dad involved at church, yet neglecting to invest those same spiritual and worshipful practices into their hearts which they long for as a testimony to the parents' true concern and love for them, that can drive them to anger. So listen, provoking them to anger can include all of these self-centered and sinful practices. That's what's meant here. What this doesn't mean, okay, let's talk about the other side for a moment. What this doesn't mean is that we should also avoid or suppress the God-given authority that you have in your child's life. Okay, so we, we, don't, we don't walk around completely afraid about making them upset at every, any moment to obey this verse. Don't let your conscience trick you. Okay, so this is where the wisdom comes in here. Listen, parents, this whole series is, is for you. This is where wisdom comes in here. So sometimes a child will become angry when parents are actually doing what is right and doing what is good. Children should be shaped to be obedient through the word of God, though this too might make them angry at first, 
right? When we see this verse, we see some verses preceding this verse, this memory verse. The whole passage says this, look at this. Ephesians 6, one through four. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right, okay? Obedience from the child is what? Right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. It's gonna go well with you if you do that, that you might live long in the land. The kids will live long if they honor their father and mother. And then it goes into saying, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we got on the front side, children got to obey and honor. We got on the back side, you're not completely neglecting anything of God-given authority. You're bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Yet right there said in the middle is don't provoke them to anger, right? So this instruction to children and to parents Right, The children are required to obey even when they don't want to, especially when they don't want to. And, and they're to show honor, and it's, if it's going to go well with them if they do. And then this also shows that mom and dad are also in view here. Okay, Listen, so this is good for us to notice. Mom and dad are also both in view. Honor your father and your mother. Right? So our memory verse specifically addresses fathers, but this should be applied to both parents. Proverbs 14.1. Here's a good verse for you moms. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. So moms, you have the potential to tear down or build up a home. Right? So sometimes this is going to take great discernment to know if what we are saying and what we are requiring is right, even if it may make them angry, right? Even if it may make a child angry, because listen, children are sinful just like us. They're cuter than us, but they are sinful as well. They're born sinful. Psalm 51.5 says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. You don't become sinful at some point in your life. You come into the world with a sinful nature, which is why we don't have to teach a child to disobey. They naturally know how to do that. That comes easy, right? We have to teach them to obey. And the disobedience of the parents is a result of sin in their hearts. And 2 Timothy says that this is just going to continue and continue to get worse. It says this, but understand this, that in the last days, that, that means that when you see the last days in the scripture, that's after the, Jesus has come. We are currently in the last days. The only thing left is for him to return and, and clean house, right? So in the last days, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. There it is. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. And so listen, godly parenting will feel harsh at times. Godly discipline and discipleship will make them upset at times. And you might not know if what you are doing is right. But sticking to godly instruction, godly discipline is protecting them from a life of destruction. Think about how much you wish your parents would have actively and authoritatively kept you from knowing what sin tastes like. Right? I wish I just would have never tasted it, gained a taste for it. So don't let your conscience trick you. Instead, let it be informed by the scriptures here. Listen, it will help you to discern what is sinfully prodding, provoking them to anger, and what is necessary and good for their lives. Our memory verse doesn't mean to be careful to appease them at all times. Oh, they're getting upset. I got it. I must be doing something wrong here. Listen. Here's what happens. You, you, need to, you need to bring them up. That's why the, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You got to do this, but don't do this, but do this, but don't do this, right? This, this is where this thing sits here. So children, listen, 
They should not always have what they want. That's what, not what this verse means. They're gonna push against what is good for them, okay? They will show a disdain. Be sure of this. They're gonna show, because of this, their sin, a disdain for the things of God, for the church, for obedience at times. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial that's come upon you when your kids are mad about that. This does not imply that you should parent with like the world who doesn't know Christ. Parent with a deathly leniency. Don't do that. You parent with a leniency like the world, it will lead them to death. In fact, listen, parents, for just a moment, we must require obedience. Require, 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 Christian parent, require, 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 require obedience. Obedience, even if it makes them angry. Sometimes their pride, their desires, their assurance of self, it needs to be broken. I know a lot of parents talk about um, making sure that we, we build up a child's self-esteem. Listen, can I tell you that's not the picture of the scriptures? In all honesty, there's quote-unquote self-esteem in a lot of ways needs to be broken. It needs to, they need to come into Humility. They need to come into a place of humility before the Lord. That's where real life will begin for them. That's what will sustain them. A life not about self, right? Listen, they need to crawl back into your arms with surrender and sorrow and humility as you embrace them, right? So obedience should be required for their good. Listen, but not only obedience, immediate obedience, Okay, so this is what you're moving towards, immediate obedience. And not only immediate obedience, but obedience with the right heart. So listen, here's your task, obedience immediately with the right heart. We're not provoking them to anger, but we're also bringing them up in the discipline of an instruction of the Lord. So listen, ready? Bitter obedience doesn't honor the parent or glorify God, okay? It doesn't deal with the heart. They may do what you say, but their heart, there's something still going on in the heart. And as the parent, you're shaping the heart. So bitter obedience isn't true biblical obedience, flowing from an understanding of the heart, a love for God and a love for others. It's not true obedience if they do something while pouting. Okay, so don't allow pouting or bitter obedience. Just don't allow it. When they turn around and cross their arms while going to do what you said, we tell our kids in our home, like literally, if they turn around, put their head down, pout, right? We, we say that's just not allowed. Like, what do you mean, dad? It's not allowed. It's not allowed. Stop pouting. Get up, right? And then what I do is I require them when they're obeying, they turn around and go do what I said to smile while they're doing it. <laughs> I do. And sometimes I force them to laugh. If their smile's like, I'm like, laugh now, right? <laughs> and obey while you're laughing. Imagine if you were an obedient Christian, but you were always disgruntled about being obedient to God. Would that show God to be great? Would that glorify God? We often say, listen, children should be required to do what they're told, when they're told, to do it with the right heart attitude. What they're told, when they're told, with the right heart. So doing what they're told with the wrong heart doesn't glorify God, and it doesn't show a heart that is being shaped for God. We need to be shaping their hearts. If you need help with that, talk with Pastor Chad, who that's what he does at the Nehemiah Project for Biblical Counseling. He's shaping hearts. The heart is the issue. It's why you can go on a vacation and you still face the same problems that you faced at home. You bring them with you. Why? Because the problems are not your problem. Your heart is your problem. Right? So to know for sure, listen, can I tell you? What we're doing as we're shaping their hearts is we're eliminating self. Always. This is what you're doing for a child, okay? As you're, as you're not provoking them to anger, but you're bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I, I'm, I'm going on the other side again here. I don't want us 
to move away from our godly authority, our God-given authority. Hopefully it's godly authority. You're, what you're doing for a child is you're eliminating their heart for self. You're developing a heart for others and a heart for God. That's ultimately what you're doing. To know for sure, listen, this is what you're most essentially doing. Decreasing the natural heart for self. Think about self, act for self, desire for self, cheat for self, lie for self, hurt for self, self. And you're increasing by the word of God and the gospel, a heart for God and a heart for others. So by the way, this is why gratitude is a key component to child raising. Thankfulness should be fostered. Why? Because gratitude is foundationally a heart that dwells about and thinks about and appreciates others and dwells upon, thinks about, and appreciates God. It soaks, gratitude soaks in the surroundings and just can't believe it. Eyes are off of self, eyes are on others, eyes are on God. That's a, that's a quick self-decreaser. Gratitude and thankfulness. You want to like catalyze, stop thinking about self, focus on gratefulness and thankfulness for a while, right? This is what we're doing. So humble thankfulness decreases self. So listen, we must inform them and we must form them and we must not simply keep them happy. That's not what this verse is saying. We are, that's why again, in the next part of this verse, it clarifies, we're not provoking them to anger, but it doesn't mean that we should neglect discipline and instruction from the Lord. In fact, when we do this, it is right. So listen, here's where this comes to a head. This takes incredible wisdom. This takes incredible discernment. This takes incredible understanding. It takes you being like God to know how to do this. Having the mind of God, the wisdom of God, who knows when to be unrelenting in discipline for our good and who knows when to keep pushing in even when it seems unloving, and yet he's never acting in a sinful or unloving way. So can I tell you this, parents? This is why you must be spiritual yourself first. All the time. Which is what we talked about last week. To genuinely be having, to genuinely be having a, 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 a way of life and, and within your heart, having one God, as we talked about last week, one love and one truth. If you do not only have one God, you will parent in a way that serves your other gods. It's just logical. If you do not have one all-surpassing love, you will not parent in a way to point them to your one all-surpassing love. If you do not have one truth, you will not parent in a way that is guided by the truth of God's, God's word. You will be wise in your own eyes. You will lack discernment. The parent, you will parent like the world. Listen, in other words, if you do not genuinely have the things that we talked about last week, this task, the, ver the memory verse, will be impossible for you. It will be impossible. You need to genuinely become what we talked about last week right? It will be impossible without it. You will be, we must be ultimately informed by the scriptures. So parents, let's work on this this week. Fathers, parents, do not provoke your children to anger. Let's work on this, okay? So of course, this leads us directly into the text for today regarding the primary responsibility of parents to, to disciple their children. So we're going to pray. We're going to read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, and we're going to get into this other text. Let's pray. Father, please help us to take heed to what we just discussed and help us now to see this passage in, in Deuteronomy and to be further changed on what our task is in, as parents coming out of last week to disciple our kids primarily to have the responsibility of spiritual formation for our children. I pray if there's anyone in the room who's not a parent, that this, you would prepare them before they even get to that place. I pray that if there's uh, 
there's anyone who is on the, on the back side of this, that you would continue to develop them, that they might invest in other children or invest in, invest in their, their grown children. I pray, God, that you would just help us. This is what your scriptures say, and I pray that you would guide us in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. We've got to move. Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Now watch this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eye. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your, and on your gate. So last week, if you remember, we left off with the individual, the parent, as I just mentioned. If you weren't here last week, please go listen to the sermon via podcast. It's this, we dealt with the great need for his ways to become our ways. We dealt with the great need for obedience by parents to be the primary ones discipling their children. We also saw the theme of the Bible point us to Deuteronomy chapter six, starting in Genesis. Um, And uh, we also saw the role that the church should have biblically and the role that the church shouldn't have biblically. In this, in this investment in children. So go listen to that, please. We also saw, it, we, we, it led us to an understanding of, of, of Deuteronomy, where we're showing God keeping his covenant. Remember this? And, and his people's obedience to the law. And then we saw this parental discipleship as we moved into chapter six that would lead to God preserving, blessing, multiplying his people, keeping his promises as he said he was going to do. So we talked about how this all starts with the spiritual state of the parent, okay? This is how we we saw Moses. He spoke first. Listen, picture this. He's speaking to the people of Israel, and there's parents there, and he's telling them what should be true of them, of everybody, to every individual. And then he said, also, teach it to your kids. Teach it to your children, Right, So this is for everybody, but parents in particular, and then teaching to children. So he says to you, parent, that this starts with your spiritual state. You who are his, listen, you should keep your covenant with him by having three things. Okay, focus now. You should have, you should, uh, have one God, right? You should not be serving other gods while trying to find and follow and love the one true triune God. You can't be incorporating the gods of the surrounding nations, the surrounding culture into your life. Secondly, you should keep your covenant with him by having one love. This is one superior love. Revelation chapter two, John writes to the church in Ephesus, you have abandoned your first love. This is a love for God that is based on choice and truth. That's why Moses is able to command it because it's not a sporadic feeling, right? So this is a love for God based on truth and this is an exceeding love. That's what the, the word might meant when we were looking at it. A satisfying, exceeding love from the whole being. Does that describe your life, parent? And then thirdly, you should have one truth. That is, you should have the Bible, God's word, the scriptures, the whole counsel of God constantly before you, okay? Constantly before you, you should be reading, memorizing, meditating, learning, listening to the explicit Bible, no substitutes. Look at this, John 14, 15. If you love me, if you had number two right, you will do what? Yeah, the word is gonna be the, the, the guider of your life the guiding force of your life. This truth should come from a place of understanding. The Bible should be in your heart. So it's not out of a sense of legalism or, or duty, but that it's out of a place of, of love. That, listen, and let me tell you, parent, if you are not reading the explicit Bible every day, if you are not reading the explicit words of God 
every single day, you do not have one truth. You have many truths coming from your own thoughts, coming from the world. It would be impossible for you to have one truth. So I mentioned to you last week that we're gonna help you with this. So I want you to just pull this out. It's on your seat. And I want you to look at this for just a second. To help you with this, we're providing you with a great Bible reading plan that we are excited to do as a church. Yes, clap to it. Amen. We are excited to do this as a church beginning January 1st. So you got two weeks, church, to ready yourself, to get your heart ready, to get your mind ready, to get your Bible ready, right? To pick a place where you will read it each day, a time where you will read it each day, to find a friend in our church who you can go into a partnership with and hold each other accountable. You will read through the entire Bible in one year, and this is exactly what you need, parent. Okay, let me explain this for a moment. If you randomly pick something to read each day, follow with me. If you just randomly pick something to read each day, you will have very little confidence that God is teaching you every day and that he is speaking to you every day. You will have very little confidence because you're just choosing it. You're not sure if it's, you're just forcing the issue or what's going on. If on the other hand, you have, in it, you have it in the providence of God, what you are to read next in God's word each morning, you will be sure each day that he is speaking to you. And since the plan, this plan is moving progressively through the whole Bible, you will certainly begin to understand God's greater story rather than making each reading about you, right? Well, I think we will do this every year, okay? Can you imagine reading the whole Bible every year for the next 50 years? There will be nothing you're unfamiliar with in the scriptures, nothing. You won't understand everything, but there won't be anything you're unfamiliar with. It's important, listen, to cover, so here's another good thing. It's important to cover a, a whole wide range while you're reading the Bible and also to grow in your understanding year after year, but also to focus on specific detailed places. Now, here's why this is relevant, because you will read four different places each day, moving progressively through each so you aren't hopping around. That's not what it's mean. It's going straight through these places, these four different places. But there are two Old Testament and two New Testament places. Since this is the case, listen, two readings will tend to be shorter and two a little longer since the New Testament is what? Shorter. It's going to take you less time to get through. So this also has great advantages. Let me tell you why. Follow with me. Covering a broader scope as well as covering in a narrow, intensified, detailed scope. It will teach you how to do both in your Bible reading. To read in a way that covers a whole range, not always stopping to look up every little detail, to understand the greater, bigger story, but it will also teach you how to slow down and meditate significantly and deeply over a few verses and phrases. And I think we should try to do both, and this will help you to do that. Another advantage, lastly, it will provide you reading for, as you can see, 25 days of Bible reading each month. Some of you took a breath of fresh air when you saw that, right? Which it does mean what you think it means. At the end of the month, you will have five or six days to catch up if you've fallen behind. Our church won't fall behind, I know that, but for other people. Usually by February, most people have given up on a year-long Bible reading plan because um, they've fallen behind. I suggest you don't fall behind, obviously, but here's what you can do. You can use those five or six days at the end of each month for Bible memorizing, right? Memorize something, pick an entire chapter in the Psalm or take another passage in the New Testament and spend five or six days memorizing it. So now you got Broad scope reading, narrowed reading, and memorization all together. 
Husbands and wives, you can both do this plan together. You can do it separately. You can encourage each other in it. I would suggest pick an accountability partner in our church that you can talk with and check in with about this. Um, Do it with your accountability partner, the memorization. But notice this, know this. The ultimate goal of life is for you to glorify God every day, to magnify Christ as God puts it in Philippians 1. Listen, you exist on this planet to make God look magnificent, right? Make him look precious. Make him look valuable. Make him look like the supreme treasure that he is. So listen, that is the goal of life. Ready? This is the goal of life. Summarize, to make God look like a treasure. And the main way you will do this is by seeing him as that every day. You, if you see him as glorious, magnificent, valuable, beautiful, desirable, great every day, you're guided in his story, his promises, his plan, his commands, his truths every day by being in the scriptures, you will glorify him in your life. Okay? So that's the point. Listen, parents, we've spent a lot of time on your spiritual state, like two and a, one and then a half a week, right? Like, but this is so important because without this, all of this, this whole series is lost. If you yourself as a parent are sitting there and saying, mm, I got this, mm, I'm not gonna change, mm, I kind of have figured this out, the, the whole discipleship of children is like, we just might as well throw it out. Here's what it says in Deuteronomy 4.9, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and then make them known to your children (laughs) and your children's children. Grandparents, you're not off the hook, okay? All right, now we move into verse seven in our passage, one verse today. We turn to teaching your children. God gave parents the primary role of spiritually discipling their children. Moses is saying this to the people of the covenant, okay? To the people of the covenant. Now, he tells us, We begin in verse seven. He tells us how to do it. Now stay with me. He's gonna tell us how to do this in verse seven. Let's begin. How should we see parental discipleship? Three points. Number one, spiritual discipleship of your children should never cease, okay? Now don't take these things as obvious. Stay with me. Spiritual discipleship of your children, number one, should never cease. Okay, verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This verse, listen, is meant to clearly portray a discipleship by parents that persists in all of life. Now get this, we we, we have to start here. Moses is saying this discipleship should be constant, never ceasing, all-encompassing as the most important, most central, most vital task every day for parents. This shouldn't, you shouldn't be escaping from time to time. Listen, I know that this sounds obvious, but you got to hear this with fresh ears. There should never be a time that you're moving into the world, the normal world now. That's not normal right? God is normal. He created everything. This is his universe. Everything is related to him, right? Informed by him. There's no moving into, okay, we did our discipleship. Let's move into the world now because I got a real job. No, listen, God made your job and your arms and your legs and your ability to do your job. So we're not moving away from another one reality into another reality. We We have to be parents who are thinking this is all of the time, this means there shouldn't be a God-themed time and then we live in the, wor- the normal world, okay? Th- this should be like, this, is, this whole life is for God, about God, given by God, meant to grow in God and know God, all of life. There's no, what we say, sacred and secular divide. All is sacred. He made everything. This is a stark contrast to what has become normal Christianity, Moses doesn't want you to think you're overdoing it, parent. Like, oh gosh, we're just being really spiritual all the time. That is reality. That's reality. You live in that reality. That's reality. God and his reality is reality every moment. 
right? So we're bringing them into that reality. Hear this anew. Hear this afresh. Don't say, I already know this. Listen, parents, discipleship should never cease. You should not be, make anything else the point of your child's life. That's not the reality. That's being tricked by the purpose of the world and thinking other purposes are normal or that they'll last, right? Romans 12, one through three, I appeal to you brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world at all, at all. Be weird. Christians should be weird, right? Really, you, you need to be set apart and different in order to show the world what is different, which is Christ. Don't try to just conform to the world and also be a Christian. Don't do that. You should be set apart and different. All of your life should be about God completely because that's the reality of life. Moses commands the people and teaches the people to teach them diligently to their children. When they sit in their house, when they walk by the way, when they lie down, when they rise, AKA all of the time, right? That's the picture here. A lot of people maybe like to get caught up in like, okay, let's talk about what happens in the sitting in the house. Let's talk about what happens when we're walking by the way. And that's fine. You can do some of those things, but that's not really the point here. Moses is just saying all of life, always, all the time, everywhere you go. Some of us may think a certain amount of teaching and discussion of God's word is, is too much. But listen, this is not what the Bible portrays. It may seem radical to you, extreme to have Christianity that central to your life. You want to do a type of Christianity that also fits into your lifestyle. That's not normal Christianity. And this is not radical Christianity. That's his reality, right? Children should be trained to live in this reality. God pertains to, if we could say it like that, and is central to everything, all of created life. That's the reason why we were created. That's why we live for him every day. So listen, we were created by him. We live in his word. Here's what Acts 17 says. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he himself needed anything. Since he gives to all mankind, all mankind, life and breath and everything. He made from one man, every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places. Here's the purpose, that they should what? Seek God. So discipleship is all of life. Listen, look at this. First Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or what else? There's nothing missing here. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. We are created by him. We live in his world for a short time to know him, to make him known. Our souls were created to be in relationship to him. He reconciles us to himself through Christ. So it may sound like a cliche statement, but all of life is for and about our God-given purposes. Apparent discipleship of a child should be in light of this, relating all of life to God. Parents, there should you should not only have one time of formal discipleship and then wrap up, right? And then, and then move on. Parents should always be teaching the commands of God, talking, relating them to life. Now, some of you in this room are like, yeah, of course. But this is not normal and we have to start here. Your whole life. Like, don't think of discipleship with your kids as just, let me sit down with them with a the Bible at Starbucks. That can be part of it. But what Moses is telling you is that your whole life is about pointing them to God. And if you give them any other purpose, and if you have any other purpose, then your purpose is not biblical. It's not right. And it will lead to death. It will lead to them being like the world. I say that with love. This is the realities. Some parents think we maybe, again, we talk about it too much, but this is a trick for, from Satan. Listen, can I tell you something? You can't push your kids further away from God than they naturally are. They're sinners apart from God. And we think if we give them too much of God's word, we are gonna push them away. That's the opposite of what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's word does the opposite. It's actually producing life in them. 
So it's a trick from Satan. Let me just not give them too much of God's word because it might make them more sinful, right? No, 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 no. You give them as much of God's word as you can because that's what's gonna change their hearts. So that's a trick from Satan. Look, look at what the Bible says. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So let me say this. Stay with me. Lock in. Don't be seeker sensitive with your parenting. Don't be seeker sensitive in your child raising. What do I mean by that? They need the word of God, the whole counsel of God, the scriptures, the gospel, the Bible, all of the time in everything telling of God, his character, his ways, his requirements, his mercy, his worthiness, his holiness, his sovereignty, his providences, in everything. This will produce faith in your child. This is what will draw them in and do work in them, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This will produce faith. Can you imagine, listen, here's what I mean by seeker sensitive with your child. Can you imagine holding some truth back sometimes in your own wisdom. That doesn't make any sense and it undermines the very thing that you're trying to do. That's why seeker-sensitive movements make absolutely no sense. Aren't you trying to make people godly? So we're undermining that by keeping some Bible away from them. It undermines everything you're trying to do. The Bible also doesn't tell you to do that. In fact, listen, you're saying this. I'm sure glad I came around to determine what from God's word can be and should be taught to my child. And I'm sure glad I came around because when God wrote the Bible, he didn't intend for all of it to be proclaimed to everyone all the time at every time in the exact way that he wrote it. So good good thing that I came around (laughs) and told God how to do this thing, right? Don't do that, okay? So faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Don't be seeker sensitive with your child. Moses is speaking to the parent, okay? Watch this, Proverbs 6, 20 through 23. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Here's how all-encompassing this should be. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and is teaching a light and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. All the time, parent, you're, you're relating to God and showing them the reality of God all the time. Now, number two, stay with me. Number two, spiritual discipleship of your children is primarily teaching them the word of God. Primarily teaching them the word of God. Now again, don't gloss over this. Verse seven, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you lie, when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Now listen, Moses is saying here, and you gotta get this, okay? You shall teach them diligently to your children. So don't, listen, Don't mistake this series. Stay with me, okay? Don't mistake this series for simple or better parenting techniques or good moral practices of developing a good, healthy home. Don't do that. Here's what I'm telling you. Good practices that facilitate tranquil and healthy family dynamics, that's not what we're doing here. And I feel like our culture can easily take this and morph it into that. Now, again, this may seem obvious. It's not. Listen, don't mistake this. This instruction from this passage, from this parents, from, from this series, is for parents to spiritually, make it clear, disciple their children. This is for a parent who is in Christ to for a child to grow and have salvation and to know God. This is not for just better parenting. So parents 
should be teaching the child the word of God. That's the main responsibility and task. Let's take everything else off the table for just a second. If that isn't you, you can't take this, if you don't want that, you can't take these principles and just transfer them into good parenting techniques. This is for the explicit teaching of God's word to kids. So Moses brings us to this point. He says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. If you hear nothing else in this entire series, hear this. Parent discipleship means nothing more and nothing less than teaching your child the word of God explicitly. This is what you gotta do. If you want other ways around this, help me to figure out what I do in this situation. How do I figure, how, what do I do in this instance? Can you give me practical help and tips for good experiences to, to, to do different stories and Bible stories and this and that? Okay, all is great, but listen, it's really secondary and it really doesn't matter much. The goal of this, you need to become a person who teaches the Bible explicitly, the verses, the, the, the paragraphs, with your lips, with your words, teaches them the Bible. That's what parent discipleship is, plain and simple. And it's all the time. That's what Moses is just saying here in this passage. Teach them the Bible all the time. Right? Teach it to them. This is exactly what he's saying. So don't confuse this with a good parenting seminar. This is real deal for real deal parents who aim to make disciples of their children. Let me, let's clarify this quickly. Moses begins with you, verse seven, you. Who is you? Well, you is the one we talked about, who's a child of the covenant, who has one God, one love, one truth, okay? This is not, this is not what the world will do. These individuals shall, what does shall mean, right? You shall, okay? This implies obedience. This is not a, a choice, it's obedience. Teach them diligently. Now in the phrase, the Hebrew phrase, what this means is to sharpen. You shall teach them diligently. This is to sharpen. That's what it literally means. To cause an object to have a thin or pointed shape, including a cutting edge, implying a a readiness for a cutting or a piercing action. The same word is used here. Look in Deuteronomy 32. If I sharpen my flashing sword. So it can refer to being potentially dangerous like an arrow, right? Like um, as you guys probably know the verse, right? Your arrows, uh, and we'll see it in, in a minute. The children are arrows in the hands of a warrior. So this is to wet, W-H-E-T, to sharpen, to grind, like this, Psalm 45, 5. Your arrows are sharp, okay? The word is also used uh, sometimes to describe being like sh- stabbed or shocked by formal repetition or, or impressing upon. So Psalm 127, 4 through 5, you guys know this, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. So listen, okay? Here's what you're doing. You're sharpening your child, making them dangerous by teaching them the commands of the Lord. Watch this. Just look at this with me. It's how obvious this is. You who know God shall, this is a point of obedience, teach them diligently to your children. Teach, okay? What this presumes is that the parent knows the material, Okay, so the parents got to know the material to teach. They'll apply it with clarity and with accuracy. Now watch this, teach them. What is them referred to? Here's why I say this is all about one thing, teach the word of God to your kids. Follow the verse, you shall teach them diligently. What's them? Well, them refers to what we just talked about in the previous verse. What is them? Look at the previous verse. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart and you shall teach them diligently. What are, what's them? The commandments, the word, the scriptures. So all that Moses is saying here, teach the word to your kids all of the time. That's parent discipleship. Throw everything else out. You taking them with you to church, dropping them off and being happy and this and that, you'll spend a lifetime doing that. And you've never sat down and done exposition with the word to your child. 
That's what we should be doing all of the time. Disciples of the word that make disciples of the word. You know, if your child is truly converted, equipped and not entertained, and the gospel and the word has been involved in their life always, if they know the Lord, they logically and biblically can't walk away from the Lord. And faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. We need to have a culture. We, we have done way too much to try to invest in kids. None of it will matter and Satan knows it. But a parent who reads the word, exposes them to it, and then teaches that to them, that's parent discipleship. And if we have a group of people who are teaching the Bible explicitly with words to a child, we're going to win this thing. Let me give you an example. First Peter says, do not be a first Peter three, do not be afraid of them. Right. But in your heart, set apart Christ, set, set apart Christ as Lord, always being ready to give an account for the hope that is in you yet. Do it with gentleness and respect. So those who revile your good behavior might be put to shame. Let me give you an example. Okay, I'm sitting with my child. I read this verse to my child and I say, listen, we should have no fear of people who oppose Christ, right? But we should be ready. We, we should have Christ as our Lord, being confident in that. We should be ready, prepared to give an account for the hope that's in us. So we prepare. We're not scared. Christ is our Lord only. I'm prepared by knowing the word of God to give an account to those who oppose the message. But yet I'm doing it with gentleness and respect because if they get upset, it'll be to their shame. Oh, I just taught a Bible verse passage to my kids and they're gonna understand that. And I could make a five-point sermon out of that, right? How do we deal with people who oppose true doctrine, right? Well, don't be afraid of them. Have Christ as your Lord. Be prepared to tell them, right? But do it with respect so that if they revile your, your words, they'll be put to shame because you did it kindly with meekness. Easy. Now, here's a passage, and I just explained it to my kids. That's what Moses is saying here. You're doing it all of the time, everywhere you go, and you're teaching the explicit Bible to your kids. This presumes that you know it. You got to know it. You have to know it. And I love this here because Moses also gives them clear instruction and a pattern for also teaching the gospel to the kids. And I want you to just see this. Look at Deuteronomy 6. Just look at the verses with me. I'm just going to mention our third point, so don't worry. Look at, the, look at the passage, Deuteronomy 6 with me. I feel like I'm laboring up here to get, to get this. Look at uh, verse, verse uh, 20. I want you to see this. Chapter six, verse 20. Watch this pattern. He's, he's gonna explain a pattern that, that they should be teaching to their kids. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules of the Lord our God that he's commanded you? Then you shall say to them, you were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt, against Pharaoh and against all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he, might sh that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the, land, and, and the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for, for our good always that it, he might preserve us alive and, as we are to this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Watch this pattern, ready? In verse 21, there's a, bond, a freedom from a bondage of slavery. In verse 21, God miraculously delivers his people and then judges those who are guilty. Then we see that this is in accord with his promise to the patriarchs in verse 23. And then fourthly, he says, from now on, obey my rules, my law. Listen, this is the pattern of the gospel. Bondage, miraculous freedom by God, according to his promise, and then we obey his word. Like the same pattern is here. He's teaching us patterns here. And the main pattern is teach them the truth of God, right? And so I wanna just point to you with this. In the coming weeks, we're going to give you lots of resources. We're gonna probably provide some things called like parent equip videos that we'll release, which is short helpful like ideas that you can disciple your kids with. But 
just know all the time the explicit word of God. Teach the Bible to your kids, okay? Now, thirdly, lastly, spiritual discipleship of your children involves constant instructing, reinforcing, discussing the word. Why do I put this third point? It's the same stuff, it's the word of God, but now you're just, you're not only explicitly teaching, but you're reinforcing, you're discussing. Why do I use this? Well, because he divides us into two things, teach and talk. Teach them to your children, talk of them. This, this portrays like a reinforcing all the time and instructing all the time, relating back to the word of God all the time. And then he divides it in sitting in your house. This can't be more obvious, so don't read into this. When you're at your house, right? When you're walking by the way, when you're out, we call those in our family sometimes God sightings. Like, man, look at that sun. Who do you think created that sun, right? Why did he create that sun? Things like that. Okay, in your house, when you're out, before you go to bed, last thing of the day, and when you rise up, first thing of the day. Always relating things to God. So you're always reinforcing this, okay? So parents, as we close, here's a summary. Parent discipleship should never cease. Let that be the, 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 the norm of your life. Everything is related to the truth of God. Secondly, just get this. You're teaching them the Bible explicitly with words, okay? Open it up and explain to them the passages. And thirdly, you're always reinforcing this, instructing them in what you taught them, okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you love us and you guide us to your truth. I pray that you would do this uh, in our hearts for your glory so that we might obey and our children might know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.